Today we wrap up our modernization conversation by sharing common questions we get from customers, as well as a few of our own personal war stories. Brian, a ship. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Jake. So, um, you know, we talked a lot last time about architecture. Um, I thought today we could kind of focus on, um, you know, what customers, some themes about what customers are asking us um, in, in our meetings and uh, perhaps some stories uh, from our former uh, experience as customers uh, with modernization. So um, let me let me ask you guys, what uh, what are some of the most common things that customers are asking? One that's come up a lot recently for me is about the people side of modernization, looking at different mm-hmm. organizational structures, yeah. uh, how to scale agile practices, and and rescaling, I think, is a kind of a natural one. But the there tends to be less proven models or methods to scale agile. There's a lot of debate going on. Uh, you can go to Twitter and get some some really great opinions about what's what's works and what doesn't. Um, so our customers are, are asking us that question, looking to our past experience. You know, we rolled out Scaled Agile Framework at, at Cox Automotive, and there's plenty of folks that um, dislike that framework. And and I get it. You know, I think with anything, you have to make it your own. And there's parts of the framework that I don't necessarily agree with or, or levels of depth that I don't think you need to go to. So it's really about making it your own and figuring out, um, you know, what what is right for your your organization. But the to the caveat to that is you you have to have that kind of foundational understanding of why the rituals exist, what what the right behaviors are. Otherwise, it really doesn't matter which framework you pick; you're going to fall on your face. I think you know it's you've really got to pay attention to making that that intentional change, not just going through the motions because someone else did it, did it or, you know, trying to imitate an, another company that's had success in, in one certain way, because they very likely made it their own and iterated and where they landed as a result of lots of work and learning. So anyway, that's, that's definitely one of the, the things that I, I get asked about. If you don't want to go to Twitter, you can uh, also join one of our team meetings because we have healthy debates on this subject all the time. It's so true. Yeah, I know, uh, Ashit, with some of your uh, uh, data-driven enterprise content, you know, there was a theme there about you can't just cut and paste a solution um, and expect uh, the same result that yeah. some, you know, the one you're, the success story that you're copying from. You have to really understand the, the, the purpose and the reason and the problem you're trying to solve. I thought that was a very powerful theme. Yeah, I think it's um, uh, it's about it's also not so much about absolutes, right? I think that is where these debates uh, go sometimes when we talk about operating model and people and these frameworks. Um, as to there are no absolutes, uh, you have to understand why uh, what the fundamentals, like first principles, are behind something. And then you have to adapt and customize based on your unique situation and see what works for you. Um, and and also there is a correlation between a number of things that uh, you have to do together, right? So you simply cannot just lift a piece and say, I'm, I'm just going to copy that part, but ignore everything else, right? That's, that's the thing that happens with 
agile that we have seen a lot of time where people say, oh, we have scrum meetings, we do stand-ups, we have, you know, but that's, that's just one part of it. That comes up a lot when we talk about Amazon's culture. And our customers ask us a lot about that. And there's a whole presentation on culture of innovation. But it, to your point, even with that, it's... And, and while we lay a lot of the, the rituals and stories and artifacts out when, when we talk about our culture, you have to have all the pieces together that are you know somewhat unique to Amazon. But you know to your point, you can't take the narrative, the six-pager uh, that, that we do at Amazon and... and just do that and expect, you know, the same results that we get here at, at AWS because it's it's you're only lifting one piece. Yeah, I think with when it comes to modernization uh, and and the question um, that Brian raised that customers often ask around people, um, I, I think that it is about uh, clearly setting a directional change, announcing that which we talked about in the previous episode, right? But then being flexible, not 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 get too attached to a way of doing things. Um, and if it doesn't work, right. pivot, right? Change, be adaptable, because that's the whole idea of modernization, which is around speed and agility. And that doesn't just uh, uh, is limited to technology and the platform. It also applies to your your org structure, your processes, how you build, how you deploy, how you work, um, and and it it goes through that entire value chain rather than just the platform. So Jake, there was something interesting though that you said, which is about taking this opportunity to, to modernize and to break down the monolith and, and kind of emerge from that. And I um, totally agree with that. But one of the kind of lessons learned, the things that I, I a story I tend to tell from Cox Automotive was you know, we had, we did use the R framework to kind of break down our workloads and figure out what we were going to do. And we ended up with a huge bucket in the re-architect, um, refactor type of, of section. And um, I found out that my team was using it as an opportunity to kind of do away with their baggage, right? To, to get rid of all the technical debt. And and so the, the cloud was, was their opportunity. And I think that's good from, you know, in, in the sense that, yes, this is now the time to, to make the shift to um, continual improvement and, and ownership where you are. You are get, paying down your technical debt and you are improving your systems and making them easier to operate because that's what your customer needs. But, you know, I, there's a balance there, right, of taking this opportunity to then go overboard and and having it be a a time in history where you make a transition versus actually changing how you operate long term and and having it become a part of your daily activity to to look at what's going on to look at what's holding you back to to intentionally simplify your systems so that you don't allow yourself to kind of get back to where you we where we are right now which is all of these monoliths this, these this you know outdated complicated technology like a mainframe right we we need to avoid getting back here by by being intentional about it and so i think there's there's that behavioral shift and it's a fine line right i'm not saying not to modernize but it's it's more modernization as a a consistent future technique not 
as a one-time shift. So in uh, full disclosure, I uh, I started my first paying job uh, working on mainframes in COBOL, uh, even though out of college I wanted to go to Java. Um, and Brian, I hear you were the other way around. You wanted to go in COBOL, but you ended up with Java, I think, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I started in Java, and but yeah, when I I was on this modernization project, yeah, and we were having to integrate a ton with, uh, you know, the mainframe and and replacing technology, and so it was, it was hard to bridge the gap without being able to navigate the old systems. Yeah. So I think the way I think about um, mainframes, especially, is. Um, the time to get off and start to modernize was way before uh, we even cloud, in fact, even cloud arrived, right? So uh, we've been talking about this, uh, it was like 20 plus years back uh, that we had been talking about when I started uh, getting off mainframes. Um, and so there are so many reasons uh, to, to do that. Uh, what I think cloud has done, in fact, is made that move uh, easier, faster and cheaper. Um, so I think that it's not about, well, how do you deal with mainframe and cloud? You should have to deal with your mainframe anyway. Cloud just makes it faster, easier, and better. That's a, such a great point. Now is the best time to be doing this. If you, had ad if you had addressed this earlier, you would have a limited set of tools to modernize. But doing it today, there's never been a t better time to break up a monolith or, a, you know, or move from a mainframe to something modern. There's never been these types of um, tools and functionality available to make your life easier doing that and the cost make the cost of experimenting so low that you can figure out how to do that while you're doing it. That's a good point, Jake, right? Because the whole industry is rallying around this. So you have uh, technologists, right, that are that are up to speed on this new way. You have partners that are are there learning how to do exactly what you need to do. And so... You know, it is a good, it is probably the best time, you know, to, to make this sort of shift. Yeah. So, so your procrastination paid off. That's right. <laughs> you waited <laughs> so you? long that now it's easy. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I think we've been, we've been talking about uh, modernization uh, for last few episodes. Um, we talked about architecture patterns, uh, mainframe, ERP, people side of the house. Uh, how do you actually communicate the value uh, to the business executives and and then drive change? Um, it'll be it'll be great to hear about uh, personal stories of uh, modernization. Uh, whatever you can share without uh, lending yourself in too much trouble. <laughs> let me be specific and vague at the same time yeah exactly <laughs> i mean for me i mean most people are are probably aware of of kind of um my, my story around that you know we uh we kind of uh stumbled upon the kind of what for us was the best way to address modernization and move to cloud simultaneously and it ended up being what we now call minimum viable refactoring uh, which I think is a great approach for for customers to take if they're in a similar situation right so if you have legacy applications that you know you want to modernize but you also have this desire to move to cloud quickly because you realize that uh, the modernization effort is going to be easier having these applications already in the cloud 
So, you know, you, you, you have this, um, you know, this opportunity where you, you, you can move perhaps all in or part of your, um, your infrastructure to cloud. Um, but you have to modernize a little bit in order to get there. So I have this idea that there's no such thing as a pure lift and shift. It simply doesn't exist. It's a, it's a fantasy. There's always going to be some refactoring that you have to do, even if it's a tiny amount. Um, and I don't think you have to define what that amount is for your overall project and initiative. I think that it should be um, within a range, but it should be it should it should be dependent on each individual workload. So on a workload by workload basis, you you make a judgment call. What's the minimum amount of changes I can make in order to satisfy these requirements, which is for it to cost less, uh, to, to be more secure, be more compliant and uh, more resilient, or at least no worse on all of those things in your first pass. And then you have to have an intention. You have to follow through on that intention to um, optimize after the fact and, and do the modernization then. So that's kind of the approach that, that I took at, at Live Nation and was successful for us. Yes, Jake. I- I'm glad you you kind of finished with that because as you were talking, I was thinking the same thing. The, I saw you the pure... laughing. <laughs> no, I was it was I was laughing in agreement, Jake. <laughs> I, I was actually um, you know what it reminded me of was Jake's two favorite R's. Remember those that conversation we had about I two do. R's? two favorite yeah. R's. I don't, There's only two R's, R's that only exist two R's. in my model. Only so two R's for Jake. It's pretty easy to to uh, pick my two favorite because there's now, only two. But you do have several levels of refactoring. So you probably have like 10 variables in right. that one R and then retire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a fair criticism. But um, but actually, it's a spectrum with infinite possibilities. Ah, so that's why go. I don't count there all There it them. is. No, but I, I think your point about the, the pure rehost, um, whether or not you're, you're right that, that it's possible or not, I, I think is secondary from my perspective to the fact that customers shouldn't think that the approach is, I'm going to rehost and I'm done, right? right? So even if you can do that, you're, you're kind of missing the opportunity if you stop there. And so the understanding that there is optimization that that follows and 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 frankly most workloads it, especially to get the cost optimization you have to follow with with a significant uh, optimization strategy that that follows that that initial push so you know i i believe that getting to the cloud as quickly as possible is the right thing to do because then that means that you can embark on that optimization phase as quickly as possible. You right. can you can refactor your application and take advantage of the building blocks in the cloud, which would be very different than refactoring on-prem, right? Where you're having to stand up new things and replace what you have, and it's significantly different. And Jake, I know you you had a, a an awesome story about that kind of post migration optimization. Yeah, and 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 actually, this is this is really interesting because. Um, when I get customer feedback, uh, on, on the story, um, it depends on who I'm talking to. If I, if I'm talking to middle management or if there's like architects and engineers there, they almost universally have this concern with this approach that yes, we're going to do this minimal viable approach, but, uh, what if we never get a chance to go back and do the optimization? You know, they have this fear that their superiors and the business as a whole are going to say, oh, great. You got to cloud. Now here's your next priority. And they're never going to have that chance. So it's super important that you have a commitment to do that. 
because that's where you're going to realize most of your benefits is in that optimization phase. Uh, moving to cloud is just giving you those capabilities to do that. Yeah, I mean, that that's what we're calling a transformation, right? It's it's meaningfully, we want to come out meaningfully different and just getting to the cloud and then going back to our old ways of, of doing things is, you haven't really changed anything. Brian, did you just get out of uh, telling us your story by asking Jake to tell his story again? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, what happened to the story? No, maybe. <laughs> um, well, so I, there's several stories to share. Um, you know, one I think that that is probably a, a good one from you know an architectural standpoint. We've talked about mainframes. You know, one of the places where we had a, a real challenge from a reskilling, um, talent retention, and then and then really just from a, a like customer and, and business aspect, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like it took us nine months to extend one of the fields. We were, we had R RPG on the I-Series It took to just increase the storage, whatever, 10 characters it took us like nine months, you know, just because of the, the web um, that existed in the RPG code. And I've, I've talked to customers and they're it seemed to resonate with them. So it's, it's not just us, which is, which is good, but, you know, approaching that problem where you have RPG developers and, and figuring out how to continue to maintain it, increase speed because no one's going to want to wait nine months just to ex increase the care, you know, fields, uh, characters in, in the field. Um, so anyway, we, we use the strangler pattern, which is kind of similar to the minimal minimum viable refactor. It's, um, the idea is instead of taking the entire mainframe and saying, okay, we're going to rewrite it all. It's breaking it apart and it's finding those pieces where, you know, what are the, what are the highest priorities to our customers? What are the, where are we slow, the slowest to change and prioritizing those pieces and breaking them off and rewriting them. And so we ended up building, um, .NET cloud native microservices that, interacted back with um, our RPG code. And so, you know, slowly kind of taking those pieces off. And the the goal for us was to come out the other side with um, really just an accounting system and at, at its core. So, you know, it, it was an ERP, essentially, it's called the DMS, but um, basically an ERP for car dealers. And so we wanted to shrink it down and to become this, this massive thing, everything to everyone, you know, had inventory and parts and um, service and really the thing it was best at was accounting. And so we were trying to return to that place by, by breaking it apart. And so, um, it was, it was an interesting challenge. And, and one of the patterns that I talk about a lot, because it's pretty obvious, um, but Martin Fowler wrote about, you know, the strangler figs and, and that's kind of where the name comes from. And, and it's, it's a, a very easy thing to pair with, you know, another approach is, which is event decoupling, which maybe is a story for another day. How about you, Isha? Yeah. Oh, I thought I, I just got away with... Uh... Yeah, nice try. <laughs> I was going to give him a pass by, t by saying something else. <laughs> <laughs> he can still do no, it, I'm Jake. Just Let me just add very quickly. I think it's, it, it's, it's important to, to realize that it may sound like we're giving conflicting information here, right? Well, on the one hand, we're saying move quickly, minimal viable refactoring, go as fast as you can. On the other hand, we're saying take this opportunity to modernize. 
And that's not the fastest path necessarily. But sure. I, I, so I just want to kind of explain that, um, that, um, you know, what might sound like a contradiction. Uh, I think what, what we're saying is move as fast as possible to cloud, but no faster. So in the case of a mainframe, you're not going to lift and ship that to the cloud most likely. So the fastest you can move that is a modernization of that application, right? So it's, it's, there's a, there's, like I say, there's a wide range of the amount of refactoring that's going to happen that second R in the two R model. And, uh, and sometimes it's a lot of refactoring in the case of a mainframe, it's going to be a lot of refactoring in the case of, uh, you know, a, a, a application that is designed to run in the cloud would be the other end of the spectrum. That's going to be like a lift and shift because it's ready to run in the cloud. So, um, it's important to kind of take a look at your workload and, and realize in the case of a mainframe modernization is, is the best answer. Break up that monolith and, and, and rewrite those parts. And by the way, only rewrite the parts that you're using, because I guarantee you, you're not using that whole system. If you were to lift and shift it, you'd be moving a lot of stuff that you don't need that you're going to have to get rid of later. But if you attack that modernization effort now, it's your opportunity to shed all of that kind of dead weight and only bring the things that are useful to you to the cloud. Yeah. I mean, it, we talk a lot about history, right? And it's important to learn from our past uh, mistakes. And I think what you're talking about is one of them, which is, you know, massive re-architecture projects and um, biting off more than you can chew. Minimum viable refactor is is a good way to only do what's necessary. To your point about, you know, what are you actually using? Let's only do what's necessary. Let's not... Uh, embark on this massive effort over a long periods of time let's get value really quickly and that's where the kind of breaking off the pieces makes makes it well i can i can move really quickly on this individual piece you don't have to wait a ton of time to see value to our customers to the business my story is uh is a little bit different in terms of it is it is a modernization story that kind of brings a lot of these things around controlling the scope, moving fast, and managing pent-up demand. So um, I started my my job, before I became the CTO, I was the uh, head of product application and data analytics. And my second week in the job, um, I get handed over this big stack of paper, thousands of uh, pages of documentation and business case to replace uh, a a. a a legacy application XS97 database that ran a uh, key part of our business. Uh, the team had spent previous, I think, year and a half uh, working with business, uh, documenting requirements, um, and there was tremendous amount of pent-up demand. So this was, in a way, a classic project where everybody was bought in, right? Uh, business was on board, technology was on board, everyone wanted it to go. And, and I said, we can't do it this way. Uh, and this was the second week in the job. So you can imagine how, how popular I was right out of the gate uh, doing that. But, but it's also about um, the reason is because we were trying to approach it as this big mega project that would have taken a couple of years to return any value. And in a way, we were replacing the system, but not replacing in a way that would, that would actually help the business that quickly and will cost us a lot of money. Um, so we reset, we basically uh, use some of the things that we talked about in terms of breaking up the work into smaller chunks, 
organizing teams in a way that uh, instead of waiting for six, eight, nine months, we start building blocks of something every few weeks. Um, and there was a bit of adjustment because people are disappointed when they don't get the final outcome immediately, right? So when you go and say, well, you can only do this one thing out of 17 that you wanted to do. Um, but but in the end, we, we were able to finish that in nine months, um, which is less than uh, half the time that the original project would have taken for, for almost 40% less money. So it was a, it was a good success, uh, but it was a call around hey, it's not just modernization as a replacement of something old. It's also about how you do it and using those patterns to truly become high frequency and agile. Right. Totally agree with that. Well, guys, looks like we're out of time. I think we could, we have a lot more stories to share, so maybe on a, on a future episode. But uh, I want to thank you guys for joining me and hope we can do it again soon.